Greetings, friends and brethren. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Dawn Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Well, I have a special treat for you today. Last week, particularly last Wednesday, we celebrated a Jewish feast, and this feast is called the Feast of Purim, most commonly said Purim. And this feast uh, is a Jewish feast that is celebrated, and it's due to all the historical events that happened in the book of Esther. So I want to share with you about this historical account in the book of Esther. You may not be even familiar with Esther. Um, This particular book is important because, and you'll see as we uh, continue talking about it, you'll see the reason for it. So let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for this uh, wonderful book, the book of Esther. And Lord, what you did through this godly woman and her uncle, Father, using people just like us, ordinary people, to do something extraordinary for you. Lord, may this teaching and this revelation uh, be a witness to those who are listening tonight and be encouraged to know that, Father, you can do anything. You are a supernatural God, and you do supernatural exploits for your people. So we bless the Jewish people, particularly today. We bless the Jewish people, and we thank you, Father, for this wonderful woman whose Hebrew name was Hadassah. And I bless all those who are listening today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, God's hand of providence and protection on behalf of his people, you will see it will become very evident through this book of Esther. But God's name does never it never appears, not even one time. There is a wicked man in this story, this historical story, by the name of Haman. And his plot brings grave danger to the Jews, and it's countered by the courage of beautiful Esther and the counsel of her wise cousin and sometimes considered her uncle, I think it was more her uncle, resulting in a great deliverance for the Jewish people. So the Feast of Purim becomes an annual reminder of God's faithfulness on behalf of his people. And as I mentioned in the prayer, Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means myrtle, but her Persian name, Esther, was derived from the Persian word for star. So this is how the story begins. And I'm going to start reading in the book of Esther, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, one hundred 
180 days in all. So let me just stop there for a second and give you the context. We're in the kingdom of Persia. This is King. He actually had a, a uh, I don't know if you call it a more English name, but this is King Xerxes. And you may have heard that um, when you were in school and studying history. And so um, he has such a huge kingdom. He has 127 provinces. And the Bible says from India clear to Ethiopia. He has a big kingdom. He's throwing a party. And this feast, (laughs) this feast was for 180 days in all. He's showing off the riches of his kingdom. He's going to have a feast. Now, the feast itself, it says, and when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So he had a feast for the officials, all of his, uh, the nobles, the officials, the princes of the provinces, and their feast was 180 days in all. But the feast for just the regular people who lived in Shushan was seven days. And it says in verse 6, there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti, This is uh, King Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus. This is his wife, Queen Vashti, also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bizza, Harbana, Bigza, Abagza, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring... Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. And the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him, what shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs? And Memekin answered before the king and the princes. He said, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. 
If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all the empire, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And this reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memekin. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Chapter 2. And after these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint a officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. So I'll stop right there, and, and basically the story is that that's exactly what happened. All these women were chosen. They were all brought to the king's court. They were all uh, put in a separate residence, and they were watched over by the eunuch. Okay. Now, in Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai, took her as his own daughter. So, in a sense, I guess she was his cousin. Some um, some translations say uncle. But he kind of adopted her because both of her parents died and he adopted her as if she were, were his daughter. Verse 8, So it was when the king's command and decree were heard and when many young women were gathered at Shushan the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Okay, let me stop there. Mordecai is a Jew. He is in the uh, king's palace. This is his now going to be adopted daughter. She is one of these young virgins. And she has favor with this eunuch, this particular eunuch. He likes her so well that he moves her and her maidservants to the very best place 
in this particular set of quarters. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. In other words, she didn't say she was Jewish or her family was Jewish. Mordecai said, don't say anything. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. So he he was very concerned about her, and he watched over her. And every day he's checking on her to make sure she's okay. Okay. Um, Long story short, uh, all these women are paraded in front of the king. And verse 17 says, The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her the new queen. Then the king made a great feast called the Feast of Esther for all his officials and servants, and he provided and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. So I think this king really liked to have parties. <laughs> all right. Now, um, in verse 19, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. So Mordecai has prominence in this um, this non-Jewish king's uh, court, okay? Esther had not revealed her family, her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. And in those days when Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bitham and Tirish, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. The matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, after these, king, after these things, chapter 3, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Now, this name is important. Haman is the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So he was like the prime minister, okay? Second in command to the king, this Haman. And all the king's servants who were in the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage to Haman. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, poor, 
that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So let me stop there for a minute. The Feast of Purim, Pur actually means lot. It's like dice. So they don't use the word dice in uh, in the Bible, but you'll see that they when they say they cast lots, in other words, it's like they're throwing dice. And that's actually what that means. And so it's not like the Feast of Dice, but it's the feast on, uh, that they celebrate because that's when Haman cast the dice, the lots, to determine what day, the exact day he was going to destroy and annihilate all the Jews. Okay? So then Haman comes up with this wonderful idea. He's going to talk to the king, and if it pleases the king, he's going to say, let a decree be written that the Jews be destroyed. And he said, I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So guess what the king did? He took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, um, who was an enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So um, a letter was sent out to all the provinces and um, by couriers into all these provinces to destroy, this is what the scripture says, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. So that was the lot, that was the dice that was cast, and it was going to be on that specific day that all the Jews would be killed. Now, when Mordecai chapter 4 learns what has happened, he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, goes out into the midst of the city, cries with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And uh, there was great mourning uh, among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed because she's a Jew. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept it. Then Esther called Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hatach goes, talks to Mordecai, tells him what's happened, and the sum of the money that Haman has promised to pay into the king's treasuries. He gives him a copy of the written decree of the destruction of the Jews that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication and plead for, for the people. So Hatach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai, and then Esther spoke to Hatach and gave him a, gave him a command for Mordecai says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter. 
that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So let me just explain something to you. You could, no one could approach the king unless he put out the golden scepter. If he didn't put out the golden scepter and you approached him, you would be put to death. That was the law. And she's saying, hey, I can't go talk to the king because he hasn't put out the golden scepter in 30 days. I haven't been able to approach him. And so they tell Mordecai what she says. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther this. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. These are her words. Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now she has been emboldened by Mordecai, and she is ready to do this. And so, for lack of time, I'm just going to tell you the rest of the story. Uh, She uh, does go before the king, and um, he then eventually puts out the golden scepter. He accepts her, and um, because she was beautiful and he loved her, and so she has a little banquet for she and uh, the king and Haman. So they have a lovely time. And she says, can we, can we do this again tomorrow? So they have another banquet the next day. But at this banquet, she begins to tell the king in the presence of Haman what has been going on. And uh, the king leaves the room, and Haman now knows he is in huge trouble. He's going to, you know, so he's pleading, and he's throwing himself at her. And the king comes back in and says, oh, my gosh, now you're now you're trying to to um, throw yourself on my on the queen. And how dare you? And he says, you know, the gallows that you built. You will be hung on them. And so Haman had built these gallows because he he thought that Mordecai would be hung on them because Mordecai didn't bow down to him. Remember, but instead. He's the one that the king told to uh, have him uh, put on the gallows. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then um, the queen then tells him all this terrible plot and what's going on and could there be, um, you know, uh, a new issue out to um, for the Jews. And he and so he tells her, you write the decree and you put it in the king's name. You seal it with the king's signet ring and, you know, we're going to send it out there. So they told all the Jewish people that they could fight for themselves. And basically that's what they did. The Jews annihilated their enemies instead of the enemies annihilating all the Jews. And um, it says... 
uh, chapter 9, verse 18, but the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as, well as the 14th day. And on the 15th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness because they were saved. Literally, this woman, Queen Esther, saved the Jewish people. Now, a very unlikely, she was a very unlikely candidate, let's just say it this way. She was an orphan. She was a Jew, and she was a woman. In the court of a king who was not Jewish. But she found great favor with the king. She found favor, you know, with the eunuchs. And um, God supernaturally intervened here. And what was meant for evil was turned around for good. And the Jewish people today still celebrate the Feast of Purim because without this historical situation, the Jews would have been annihilated. They would have been gone. They would have been wiped off the face of the earth. But for Queen Esther, for such a time as this, it is, um, you know, a really powerful story. And to think... Um, that one person could have such influence to save a nation of people. Think about that, 120 provinces, 27 provinces where the Jewish people lived. They would have all been annihilated. And remember what the scripture said. It said women and children, young and old, absolutely they were to kill every one of them till there was not one left. So, she is the hero of the day, hero of the year, hero forever because of her bravery. She approached the king when there, no scepter was set out before her. And she said, if I perish, I perish. So what an incredible woman. Uh, what, a, what a life to, um, you know, to honor Queen Esther. And uh, like I said, the most unlikely... And that's what God does. He uses the most unlikely people to do the most extraordinary exploits. That's just how God does it. And isn't that exciting that, um, you know, think about your own life. You know, most of us are just average, everyday people. That God can do great and mighty exploits through us. And so I want to encourage you today. You may be thinking, oh, you know, I'm not a queen. Well, you may not be a queen or a king. You may not have position or power, but God can use the least of the least to do something incredible for the kingdom. And that's what I want to encourage you with, uh, particularly about this story. I love this story. Mordecai actually um, and let me tell you, there's a lot you can you can dig, dig, dig deep into this story. But just for the sake of time, I will share with you. Mordecai, it's thought that Mordecai represented the Holy Spirit because he was always, always there. He was always by her side. He was always looking after her. He was always making sure she would do the right thing. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. 
He's our comforter. He's in us. He's beside us. He's there. He's helping us. He's guiding us. He's watching over us to make sure that we do the right thing. So we need the Holy Spirit, and Esther needed Mordecai. And, you know, without Mordecai, and we have to give credit to Mordecai as well, because without Mordecai prompting her and telling her, listen, if you don't go do this, don't worry. God will raise up somebody to um, help the Jews and to bring deliverance for them. Somebody, God will write, let somebody arise for the Jewish people from another place if you decide you're not going to do this. So he did, you know, he did put a little uh, word in her ear, kind of, like a little whisper in there, like, hey. <laughs> um, and, you know, so we have to give Mordecai credit as well. But it was going to be her life, not his on the line when she approached the king. So that is the Feast of Purim, which was celebrated last Wednesday. And again, I would encourage you to read the book of Esther um, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a revelation. There's a lot of deep, wonderful um, truths in this story. Um, I just shared the historical account with you to let you know that the Jewish people are alive today because of this very special queen. Well, this is Dawn Noble, Pure Heart Ministries. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. Um, I do want to let you know that we did get our 501c3, so we are um, excited about that. And uh, so any donation that you give to this ministry is tax deductible. Um, so I covet your prayers. I truly do. And I appreciate those who have written me. And um, if this ministry is ministering to you and you would like to bless us, you can write Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia. That's Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, Two six zero six zero. That's zip code two six zero six zero. And I am very, very grateful, and I thank you. I look forward to being with you next week. So, as always, shalom, shalom, peace be unto you. <laughs>